Could we stand together in honor of God's word? We are in a series called Uniquely Luke, and so we're doing passages that are only in Luke's gospel. Here we are, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed, you are loosed from your affliction. He laid his hand, when he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with glorious things that only you can do. Lord, you, you are aware of every affliction in this place, every, everyone that's bent and in what way they're bent, how long they've been bent, what their life has felt like while they're bent. And Lord, you are anointed to loose us. You're anointed to heal us. You're anointed, Jesus, to do what only you can do. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond? Let your kingdom come and your will be done in this house this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. So the title of the message is Bent by the Enemy. First, I want you to contemplate with me the compassion of Jesus. Jesus sees this woman, and he doesn't just see a woman bent over. He knows the story. He knows how long it's been. It's been 18 years. He knows how it started. He knows the, the original injury or sickness or whatever it was that, that, that it started, and he knows how the enemy used that, empowered that, and has now kind of locked her into this, this life that he, what he says is Satan has bound her for 18 long years. Every, every year, every day that you're bound is a long day or a long year. Jesus feels that. He knows that. The compassion of Jesus. He doesn't just see this bondage 
and what is causing it. And, and people get into it, you know, is it, is, it, is it a sickness? Is it the devil? Is it, is it a chemical imbalance or is it a demon? Is it, is it this or that? Which is it? How much this? How much that? And my, my thing is this, in most situations, there's probably a little of both. The enemy preys on weakness. If there's already a chemical imbalance, you bet he's gonna try to get on that and enforce it and get people stuck in it. If there's already a DNA weakness or vulnerability towards something, you bet a spirit of affliction will try to ride on that and and scream that and he's like a roaring lion and try to enforce that over a life. So the idea of figuring out how much is just natural sickness, how much is an injury and how much is the devil, only God knows. Well, here's what we know for sure. Jesus freed her. And the Bible says, twice it says that she was loosed and twice it says that she was healed. But he doesn't just see the affliction. He sees her faithfulness. This is one of those few miracles where she is not coming to Jesus to get healed. This is one of those few ones where it's not about her faith. This is initiated by Jesus. It's just Sabbath day. It's Saturday. She goes to the synagogue every Saturday. Even though she's bent over, she is faithful. She is probably accepted. She probably prayed about it maybe the first two years, maybe the first three years, maybe the first 10 years people would pray for her in meetings and pray that she'd get better and pray and nothing, nothing. So she's probably long accepted this as like a thorn. This is something I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have it until I die or until Jesus comes back, but it's okay because I love God and I'm faithful to God and I refuse to be offended with God. And so she's just, she's faithful. And he sees it. This daughter of Abraham has borne this for 18 long years. Mm. The compassion of Jesus. So he sees our afflictions. He knows every pain. He knows when it started. He knows your DNA. He knows how much the enemy is doing. He knows, he knows when it started. He knows the diagnosis that you got, the bad news you got. He knows how you feel about it. He knows all of your symptoms. Jesus knows and sees everything about physical affliction that you have. But more than that, sometimes the way we're bent is not physical. It's emotional. And it's interesting because when we're bent physically, it's easy for us to know that we are bent and it's easy for other people to know we're bent because we've got things talking to us that tell us we're hurt, we need healing, we need help. But it's much more difficult emotionally. We are incredible survivors and we make allowances and we, we cover things up and sometimes other people know we're broken emotionally and we have stopped seeing it ourselves. And, and, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows how we're broken. And sometimes we're broken on the inside and we can't walk as a Christian straight up because of something that's happened emotionally. But he also knows spiritually. He knows everybody that's ruled by fear, even though they're a Christian. 
He knows everybody that's ruled by lust or anger or depression or, and, he, and he knows how much you prayed about it and how much you had other people pray about it and how long it's been and how it started and, and, and the trauma around it and that, that, you're, you, that you just, you're, you're a Christian but you're a defeated Christian. But that's not all he sees. Oftentimes, that's all we see. We see how we're failing. We see uh, we're supposed to be this, but we're this. We're singing these songs, but we're really down here. And, and the accuser easily enforces that over us. And, 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 uh, that, and that's, that's all we see. But that's not all Jesus sees. Here's what Jesus sees. However hard it's been, however much you've gone through, however defeated you felt, you are here today. You're, you are still at church. You could be golfing right now. You, you could be watching TV. You could be offended with God and be anywhere except at church because you tried it and it didn't work. And, but here you are. You still love Jesus. You're still holding on to Jesus, even though the confusion of, the, of what's going on and the darkness and the fear and, the, and, and depression and whatever it is, you are still here. And God sees it. You haven't given up on God, and please be assured of this. God has not given up on you. Amen. Here's point two. The anointing of Jesus. So that word freed, should this woman not be freed, in some translations, loosed of her affliction? That Satan has bound her, should she not be loosed or freed on the Sabbath day? It is the Greek word luo, L-U-O is the English, and it is what Jesus came to do. This is the purpose of Jesus, is to free us from whatever the enemy is doing. It is the word, it's the same word that's used about the ox and the, and the donkey. Will you not untie your donkey and your ox so that they can drink on the Sabbath day? And it's interesting because both are true. Jesus unties us from what the enemy has done and he leads us to drink of his healing. Twice it says she has been loosed, twice it says she was healed. So Jesus both loosens us from what the enemy's done and then he heals that thing in us that made kind of an entrance for the enemy's lies to get in. He both looses us and he heals us. First John. 3, 8, for this reason, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the, the, the word destroy there is the word luo. It is to release, to loose, and bring to an end what the enemy has been doing. Listen to Acts ten thirty eight. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus means savior. That's his name. He is the savior. He washes away all of our sins. Christ is his title, the anointed one. 
Jesus saves us from our sins and his anointing breaks the power of the devil, breaks all of the strategies of the devil. He is anointed to free you. It is his purpose to free human beings from everything darkness is trying to do. The devil's job description, the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ, that's the anointed one. That's, that's, he is anointed to free us. It was for freedom that the anointed one freed you. Now, Stand firm in your freedom and do not become enslaved again by a yoke of bondage. So Jesus does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. He frees us. And then we do something that God won't do for us. We partner by standing in the freedom that he's given. So here's what happened yesterday. We have a little prayer time on Saturdays for the, the Sunday service. And I'm pacing back and forth and... And I get, I, I get this very distinct impression. Here's what it is. Lots of people experienced that freedom when they got saved and walked in their freedom for a while. But they didn't really understand it and they didn't really value it properly. And so in a time of complacency, in a time of, of uh, distraction, you got re-enslaved to the same thing. And so you were free, but you didn't really stand firm in it, you didn't really understand your part, and so you got re-enslaved, and so now you wanna get back to where you were, and so, but Jesus has already saved you, so now it's up to you to get back there. And, and, and instead of getting freed by Jesus again, people oftentimes go to behavior modification. I need to try harder. I need to read more, I need to pray more, I need to fast more, I need to do more stuff because I was free and now it's my turn to do something and I need to, no, that, that, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. In fact, it's, you're, going, you're not gonna get free and you're going to, you're, but you're still doing church, you're still doing that stuff and this sense of failure and of accusation, of course the enemy just jumps on that thing because you're, you call yourself a Christian, but you still have this, and you still have this, and you still have this. Listen, the Jesus that freed you the first time wants to free you again. He wants to come in his power, come in his anointing, and do something for you that you can't do for yourself. Then you've got a new beginning. Now you can agree with that freedom and stand firm in it again. And now you're, you're safer because you value your freedom a little more. Because <laughs> you live back under that bondage and you know the strategy of the enemy. Enemy's good at what he does. He gets you back in there. So Jesus is going to break it again so that you can stand in it. it, it, it it's like sometimes you got to go back to the chiropractor. <laughs> you need somebody else to make the adjustment and then you do your physical therapy and your exercises to become strong in it. But sometimes it, it, you gotta get reset. You gotta have somebody else make that adjustment. Jesus is here today 
to make the adjustment you need so that you can have a new beginning. So, that's point two. Here's point three, we're almost done. Healing today, number one, physical healing. So, every first Tuesday night, our prayer meeting is focused on healing and freedom. And this last one in August, I was going to do something on the woman with the issue of blood and she presses through the multitude and touches the hem of his garment and the power of God comes and she is immediately healed and it reminded me of a healing that happened several years ago now by a woman who's given me permission to share her testimony named Ellie. And Ellie, uh, I was thinking about it and I decided I'm gonna call her. I just gotta call her and find out again. I gotta hear the story again. And so I call Ellie Saboka and I said, Ellie, tell me, tell me again all about that healing. So, so here was the healing. She broke her back in... February of that year, she slid on the ice, she broke her tailbone, and the doctors, there was almost nothing the doctors could do. And so she was in great pain when she sat, and if she stood, she got really tired really fast. So it, she had to, it was, she was kind of like bedridden a lot of the time, but Easter was coming, and she told her husband, Tony, Tony, I'm going to church on Easter. I'm going to church on Easter. I don't care. I'm going to church on Easter. All right, whatever. So they're on their way. They drive from Portage. They're, they're, they're on their way. And while they're driving, Ellie gets this burst, just a quick little picture. And it's, the, it's this woman with the issue of blood pressing through and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. There, it's there and then it's just gone. And okay. Gets in the service, sitting in pain, standing tired, sitting in pain. Tony's like, honey, we need, we should leave. We really, we should get you home. You've been here long enough. You were here. You can say you were here. She said, no, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm going to be prayed for. I'm waiting till I get prayed for. So she makes it through the whole service. We had the pews then, and so she's sitting in that front pew, and we're praying for several different people. And so I finally get to her, and I said, uh, Ellie, would you like to be prayed for sitting or standing? I knew, I knew all about her back and how long it had been. And, and she said, I want to stand. And she said, Pastor Tom, when I stood up, I was immediately healed. She, she said, the power of God went through me. She said, and he did not wait for you to pray. She said, I was healed right when I stood up. I let you pray anyway, but I was healed. I was healed before I prayed. I said, Ellie, uh, Ellie, help me with this. Did it, like, did it come back the next day? Did you, she said, it never came back. I was completely healed and it stayed healed. Now, I want to just give you a caution with physical healing. There is both incremental and exponential healing. And both are biblical. Jesus said we would lay our hands on the sick and they would recover. God can heal incrementally. He can reverse a process. Naturally, our bodies degenerate. Jesus naturally, supernaturally regenerates. And so every time somebody prays for you for healing, there's a seed at least. Hold on to that seed. Hold on to whatever God does in your body, hold on to it, stand for it, 
we can't do God's part. We can't tell God how to do it. We all want the exponential miracle. It's immediate, it's all at once, and it never comes back. And God still does those. He did with this woman, he did with Ellie, but sometimes, sometimes it's not that way. So that doesn't mean God doesn't wanna heal you. It just means he's God and he does it however he wants to. Amen. All right. Emotional healing today. So this is a story about myself. We got invited last October by uh, some good friends, Glenn and Vicki Smith, he pastored in Metro, Metro on the other side of town for many years, and he was starting. A, they were starting a new ministry called Shepherd to Shepherd, and it was about healing pastors and healing missionaries. and And we were supporting it. And I'm on his whatever his overseeing board. And so he he they asked me if if Alice and I would come out and go through it. That it would be good since you're so much part of this that you would go through it. And I'm like, you know what? I can do that to serve. Glenn and Vicky. I'm not needing healing, but I can go there to be a blessing to them. I can see why they would want me to go through it or us to go through it. And so, oh boy, God had a different plan. <laughs> so I, we get there in the first morning, they have us make out this timeline and they've got all these different colored pencils and and we are supposed to, on this timeline of our life, graph every, every time there was a change or there was a conflict or there was a crisis. And so w- different colors for each one. And so, but the first day, that's all we're doing. We're just revisiting our past, but that's all we're doing is we're just, this happened, this happened, this happened. Day two. I want you to go back to all of these places and see what theology you picked up. Both good and bad. Sometimes the best theology comes in the darkest times, that God does something for you, you see something about God, you see something about yourself that you hold on to, and that now you have it the rest of your life. In fact, that's a lot of times why you go through the valleys we go through, is because God wants to give us something that we will have even when it gets better, that, that no one can take it from us. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way he deposits into our spiritual bank account. And so God meets us. And so there are really positive things that can happen in crisis, change, and conflict. But there's also negative theology that you can pick up in those times. Stuff that you start telling yourself. Stuff that the enemy kind of got in and, and you started believing something that wasn't true and it leaves you emotionally bent. So here's what I saw. I had felt betrayed a number of times and the theology that I, that I got out of it was people might betray you Don't let anyone get too close. Now, it wasn't a conscious thing, but as I'm going back there and reawakening the pain, I'm like, yeah, that's what I started believing, that people couldn't get too close because they might betray you, and it would be better to keep people at a distance than risk the pain of betrayal. 
Well, it turns out that Jesus had a very different interpretation of these, quote, betrayals. Did you know there's a big difference between Judas and Peter? Judas, Judas premeditates this betrayal. He has a whole week to say no, to repent, to give the money back, but he goes through it. It is premeditated. It is, it is a true betrayal. Peter denies Christ three times. When he most needed somebody to stand with him, he denied him three times, and that had to have felt like betrayal, but it wasn't betrayal. It was weakness. Jesus said the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. It was weakness. And because it was weakness, not only did Jesus forgive it, but just a very short time after, to the same Peter that denied him three times, he trusts him again. He says, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He trusts him again so shortly after this epic failure. Really, (laughs) this is embarrassing, but every one of the situations I I was calling betrayal weren't betrayals. They were just human weakness. That even good people, Peter's like the best, even good people are weak. So here's how the theology changed. So it, it, it was, people might betray you, so don't let anyone get close. So here's the new theology. Even my best people are weak, so give them another chance. Be willing to trust again. I'm not saying that you have to, once you've been hurt by somebody, you immediately trust. You can't make yourself trust people, but we need to be willing to trust again. The very second chance that all of us need from God, he asks us to give to the people around us. Without it, we're bent emotionally. We're still, we still look good. We still look Christian. We still got the right words, but we can't get close to people. So Jesus wants to heal us, give us a new theology. And then finally, this one that's the most dramatic is uh, spiritual healing. So May 1st, 1997, When you do the one-year Bible and God gives you things from the one-year Bible, you always know what day it happened because it's the same every year. So May 1st, I am in in East London, South Africa. I am about to get on the Mercy ship. I'm going to be doing a DTA, a discipleship training school for about 50 young people gathered around the world. And that Thursday night, I've been asked to do a message for the whole ship. There's 300 on the ship, and I'm doing the message, and I've got that message prepared, and it's on the anointing. So I am, I'm not on the ship yet. I'm in a home. They put me in a home in East London, and I'm just having my quiet time. Somebody's going to come and pick me up. I'm having my quiet time, and I'm reading about Samson in Judges chapter 14. Here is the verse. The setup is this, Samson wants a wife, he falls in love with this Timnite, he says to his parents, get me this Timnite for my wife, they're grieved, they're like, why can't you choose one of your own people, why do you have to go after this Timnite, and then this. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time, 
They were ruling over Israel. And all of a sudden, this verse comes off the pages and starts burning in me. And I'm like, oh my. Here's what's going on in this verse. Samson is not looking for a fight. Samson is looking for a wife. He is not wanting to fight. He's wanting a wife. The Israelites are not looking for a fight. The Israelites have accepted their bondage. There's another passage where they say, Samson, why are you causing so much trouble? Don't you know that the Philistines are ruling over us? They have come to peace with their bondage. This is how our life is, and we've adjusted, and the Philistines rule over us. Israel's not looking for a fight. And Samson's not looking for a fight. Do you know who's looking for a fight? God. God is angry. Something is ruling over his people. And he has set up all of these circumstances so he can go face to face with what is ruling his people. And here's what he was saying to me. Thursday night is an occasion I have set up. You didn't come looking for a fight. You didn't want to fight. <laughs> they aren't looking for a fight. They've, they've accepted whatever they're under. But I'm coming in power Thursday night, and I'm going to set my people free because they, they're being ruled by things that are not me. I was, honestly, I was terrified. I... I My experiences with Jesus were gentle Jesus, loving Jesus, forgiving Jesus, kind Jesus, and this was just a whole different thing. So all week long, I'm doing the DTS, but at lunch, breakfast, uh, I'm with different people. I'm like, please pray for Thursday night. Please pray for Thursday. I don't know what's going to happen Thursday night. I've never seen him this way. I don't know what's going to happen. Please pray for me. Pray for whatever happens Thursday night. So I preach on the anointing, and... You know, at some point, I'm finishing the message. I give them this verse and what I felt like God said. And you got to understand, these are the most faithful people on the planet. These are doctors and nurses that have all taken off their work. They have paid their own way to get there. They are serving humanity in the most practical way. They're operating on people of the third world. This is the cream of the crop, Christians. And here they are, there's 300 of them. I read this verse and I say, some of you are here and something has you. This is is how I discern the demonic. How do you know if the demonic is involved? Here's how I discern it. When you don't have something, but something has you, there's probably a demon involved. I mean, everybody gets afraid, right? But for some people, fear has them. They're always afraid. Everybody gets angry, but some people, anger has them. Anger is like their constant companion. Everybody gets discouraged. Some people, depression owns them. They they can't rise above the sadness. They can't rise above it. They're, They're held by it. Everybody experiences lust. Some people, lust owns them. There's something that owns you. Something ruling over you. And I got to say to all of these precious people, Jesus sees it, he knows about it, and he's going to break it. He's here to fight. He wants whatever's ruling over you. And so, and there was no, there was no easy way to do this. I'm like, so if, if you're being ruled over something, 
stand to your feet. And all over this place, people are standing. And then it's, and then it's game time. It's like, I've never been in this place before. I'm just like, Holy Spirit, would you come in your anointing and start freeing people? And then we get a lady starts shaking over here and somebody starts screaming over here and there's just activity everywhere. And I bring up the ministry teams and we literally went until midnight praying for people. Seeing people go free. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. And I wanna tell you something about what happened when we were out to shepherd by shepherd because not only was God revealing to me this brokenness, but he gave me a physical picture of what he was doing. I'm getting dressed one day and Alice says, Tom, there's something on your back. And she gets close and I've had skin cancer before. She, so she's checking really close and she says, Tom, there is a tick. There's a tick on you. And I knew that Glenn, Glenn Smith had almost died of a tick bite. He had this tick. No one had been able to diagnose this. He had it, and it, was, it, was, it got very buried in there. They couldn't die. Finally, they figured out, oh, my, this is, a, this is a deadly tick, and then they could make it better. But I knew Glenn knew all about ticks. So she sees it. We go upstairs. Glenn, is, Glenn looks at it. He's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what to do. And so he gets the, he, he cleans it off. He gets the match, and he blows it out, and he puts it there. And that tick left in about 10 seconds. And I'm free from anything that that tick was planning on doing. But here was the funny thing about it. I couldn't see it myself. I had to have another human being. I had to have another human being that was close enough to see it. And I couldn't remove it myself. I didn't know how, what to do. I needed somebody else. So the question then becomes this, who removed that tick? Was it God or was it Alice and Glenn? Here's the answer, both. I know, I know we want God to do everything directly. I am an independent Christian and I've got my own personal relationship with Jesus and Jesus can heal me without using anybody else because I am independent. Well, that's more American than Christian. <laughs> God's plan is to use us with each other. And sometimes you need somebody else to pray for you to see the tick and somebody that can remove it because the enemy wants to kill us, guys. He wants, to, he wants it to get undiagnosed and get buried and then, and, 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 and Jesus is here to heal us. But we have to be humble enough to let him do it.